0: Andy Squires, amen, Lord, we just ask you to bless Andy, just release that anointing and clarity that he has in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Good morning, everybody. In the middle of uh, worship, or towards the end of worship, I began thinking of something that Robin and I had been talking about earlier, and... Um, I felt like the Holy Spirit started speaking to me during the worship service, and he he was reminding me of uh, of the generation that is before me so i would I would look at uh, Robin and Donna as the previous generation or um, so, some other spiritual fathers of mine would be Byron and Becky Wicker up at River Life in Mooresville, and then just there 's a general uh, there's there 's a group of guys um, in the Charlotte area that have been contending for kingdom things for quite a long time and it 's because of them that we 're here today it 's because of their contending for the kingdom of God in this city that we 've gathered in this place today and um, Robin and I were just talking back and forth this morning about maybe the younger generation um, You know, maybe, maybe searching for that same kingdom dynamic. And I, I was thinking back when I was a kid, my, my mom and my stepdad, uh, they got saved during the Jesus movements. And I just remember this, this freshness. Even when I was a little kid, I couldn't quite understand what was going on. But I, I was, um, I was connecting with this freshness of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. And of course, being young, I didn't quite have the vocabulary or, or the wisdom to understand what was going on. But what I observed was that there was a reality and a freshness of God working in their lives that maybe hadn't been happening previously. So there was a newness in walking with God. And, and I was just thinking back to those times of just Oh Lord! I want to experience that freshness. I want to experience that newness of your spirit again in my own life today and during worship today i just I heard the spirit say uh, that scripture found in revelations chapter two i 'm sure many of you know this, but but the 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 Lord is coming to these different churches, and he 's actually lodging complaints against these different churches. Now, I don't know where that fits in your theology of how God is, but sometimes if he has something against you, he might bring it to your attention. It's possible. But he says this in the scripture. He says to the, the church of, I forget, oh, this is the church of Ephesus. He says, um, you have discovered that these apostles who are not apostles are not apostles, and you have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So these people, they are passionate churchgoers, they are passionate doers of the word, they are passionate followers of Jesus. But then but then Jesus says this, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me. Or each other as you did at first. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying this morning the Lord wants to return us to that first love. The first, when those first winds and breath of His Spirit began blowing in your life, when you first entered into that salvation moment, there's a, there's a freshness upon that that the Lord really wants us to return to. There's a cherishing of the Father that the Lord wants to impart to us today. There's a, a sweetness of knowing Jesus that needs to be cultivated on a continual basis. And we have to have his help to do that. But there is a part for us to play in that as well. Amen? So, that's not even my message. That's just the, <laughs> that's just the preliminary Holy Ghost part of the message that God gave me during worship. So thank you, Jesus, for speaking fresh fresh words to us. So, so hey, here's what you should do before I really begin. You should just tell the person next to you, you look great this morning. Oh, praise the Lord. All right. So... John Mark and I have been talking. We've been kind of planning about what we should be speaking on. So I just want to go ahead and say this, that this message is actually linked to what John Mark's going to be preaching about next week. So you really want to pay attention to what I'm going to say. I'm going to go all over the map, but hopefully you can stick with me and it'll all make sense. So uh, if you ask the average person uh, walking down the street or sitting in a church and you held up a Bible and you said, what is this all about? I, my guess would be that you would have a lot of different versions of what it's really about. Um, I, I think if you would have asked me when I was 20 years old what this book was about, I would say uh, it, it's about getting people saved or it's about the love of God or it's, you know, all of these things that are included in the scripture. But what I want to propose to you today is that the scriptures are uh, thematically about one thing, mostly, the full thrust of the Bible is about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God here, the coming kingdom of God, all that the kingdom of God is and encompasses. That's what the Bible is mostly about. I don't know if that's a new thought for you, but... For me, that is a fairly new idea. I've been probably pursuing that idea for about five or six years now, but prior to that, I didn't grow up with kingdom of God vernacular in my church. Um it was more about um, do you know where you're gonna go when you die? It was the, the narrative of the gospel was framed, uh be careful that you don't die without believing in Jesus, or you're going to go to hell. But if you do, you'll go to heaven. So the kingdom of God idea wasn't prominent or prevalent in the conversation that was, we were having as um, young Christians, anyways. So... So from Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, there is a way that God operates, okay? There's a story particularly told. There is a culture firmly rooted in that story. It is an incredibly important story with powerful implications. And in that story, there is a waiting happening of the Jewish people for their Messiah to come and set everything in order. That he would come like he promised and fulfill Israel's covenant hopes of being re as God's chosen people in a way that would throw off the ruling powers and would reassert them as the rightful rulers of not only their nation, but the nation's. Okay? So today we're going to be primarily in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, you can get ready to open up to Matthew chapter 4. But the book of Matthew opens the New Testament for us and it is written primarily to the Jewish people with a particularly Jewish mindset. They are a people forlorn, longing for Messiah to come in power to break the backs of the Romans and to make the nation of Israel the world-dominating power that they had long hoped to be. They were waiting for their king, all right? The Jewish people as a whole in the opening of the book of Matthew are waiting for Messiah to come. So I want to fast forward into the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 4, and I want to start here. Jesus says this, okay? He makes this claim at the end of chapter 4. He says this Repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the book of Matthew likes to use the word phrase kingdom of heaven, but that's not talking about heaven. It's, it's really talking about the kingdom of God. Those two phrases are interchangeable. So I'll say the kingdom of God, all right? So here's Jesus, and he's saying, okay, guys, get ready. Repent, change your minds, for the kingdom of God is near, it is here, it's coming, it's come, it's time for you to think different. Now, repentance of sins was not a new or unique message when Jesus began preaching it, alright? It was a widely held belief among the Pharisees at that time that the reason why the kingdom of God, the way they believed in it, had not yet come yet was because people were not keeping the Torah or the law to the full extent of it, which was keeping the Messiah from coming to them. All right? The reason why the Pharisees and scribes were so fierce in regards to following every single part of the law is because they honestly believed that if everyone accurately observed the Torah, then Messiah would come and set things straight. So they were always hoping and praying for a national repentance on the obedience of the law. But Jesus's call to repentance to a changed mind was not what anyone expected and because there was an existing mindset an idea as to what the kingdom of God was Jesus's call to repentance or to a changed mind was really difficult for them to receive they were, they were in, he's he's proclaiming this kingdom he's proclaiming repent for the kingdom of God is at hand but they are not quite lining up with the way what he's proclaiming. They're a little bit confused, okay? So today I'm going to be reading primarily out of Matthew 4, but I want to begin by reading a passage out of the Gospel of John. And it goes like this. I love the scripture so much. This really gets me. The, the Torah, or the law, was given by Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten God who is near the Father's heart, he has made God known. Let me read that again. The Torah was given by Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten God who is near the Father's heart, meaning Jesus, Jesus has made God known. That is John 1, 17 through 18. So Jesus has made God known. And here is what the Gospel of John claims. Before Jesus came, a full interpretation of grace and truth wasn't even available. Before Jesus came, no one had ever seen God. Despite all the types and shadows prevalent in the Old Covenant... There had been no fully accurate depiction of God yet. Jesus, who he is, what he does, what he says, is the accurate revelation of God. All that Jesus is, God is. Our understanding of God or who he is is found in Jesus and in the way that he thought about life and in the way that he lived life and in the way that he gave his life. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, there is an existing understanding of who God is and what the kingdom will look like and how it would come. And he shows up and he undoes all of that. He, in fact, he stands in stark contrast to everything that was supposed about how the kingdom would come. He comes saying, repent, just like they had all been saying. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is now. And they're just looking around like, where is it? Where is it? Cause they were supposing for something else than what he was re- revealing and what he was releasing. Okay. The religious leaders of Jesus' day and the regular everyday people knew about the kingdom, but they thought about it one way, and Jesus came proclaiming and demonstrating something wholly different. All right? Is everyone with me so far? I'm not, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. But, so in a nutshell, you've got Genesis through Malachi, okay? There's a whole lot of stuff happening there, okay? Okay? Covenant promises the law's given the prophets come after the law, and they 're foretelling of this messiah that 's coming so the, the the scribes and the Pharisees they're they're doing their best to study the scriptures not so that they can know God better but so that they can find out when messiah is coming and when they're thinking of messiah they're thinking of a man who's valiant who's strong he's wielding a sword he's coming on a a mighty stallion he has an army with him he's going to overthrow all of the powers that be He might have to use force to do it, but they're okay with that because they have a promise from God that says they are the head and not the tail. They are the ruler of not only this nation, but of all the nations. And their current circumstances are saying the exact opposite of that. So, of course, they're absolutely bewildered by this man who shows up claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be the Messiah, doing signs and wonders, but doing everything but throwing off the Roman government. So they're absolutely bewildered. According to what they've studied, this is not how things should be. All right? So... The reason why I'm talking to you about Matthew 4 today is because John Mark's going to talk about Matthew 5. And what's going on in Matthew 5 is so important to you and I as followers of Jesus, as people who are kingdom-minded people. But I want to give you context as we're heading into Matthew chapter 5. And what's going on in Matthew chapter 4 is so important to be, to be receptive to what he, Jesus is going to release on his sermon on the mountain. Everybody, are you familiar with Matthew chapter 5? It's the beatitude. It's blessed are you when you're poor. Blessed are you when you're humble. Blessed are you when you're gentle. Blessed are you when you go to work to make peace. Okay, this was. these were all revolutionary ideas. They're still revolutionizing the world that we live in. But there's a peace before chapter 5 that's so important. All right. So we find Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, all right? The Bible does not clearly say why uh, the Holy Spirit did this, but he did. He led Jesus into the wilderness, and that is what the Spirit did. The Spirit doesn't mind leading you into the wilderness. It's just, I don't know why that is, but it's the way it works, okay? So let's read Matthew 4, all right? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for forty days and forty nights He fasted and he became very hungry during that time. The devil came and said to him, "If you are the Son of God, let tell these stones to become loaves of bread." But Jesus told him, "No, the scriptures say, "People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." Then the devil took him into the holy city. Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and he said if you are the son of God jump off for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up in their hands that's from Psalm 91 okay Jesus responded the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God alright next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory I will give it all to you he said if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus, all right? So I really love the scripture uh, in Matthew, uh, starting at verse three. During the time the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become Bread, but Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say, people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You should say that. I do not live on bread alone. Say that out loud. I do not live on bread alone. That is, that. let me just say this. That could be a vision for your life. That could be a vision, your kingdom vision, for your life. You do not Make decisions on your needs, on the provision that's happening in your life. You make decisions based on a higher vision, a kingdom vision. You are paying attention to the words that are coming out of God's mouth because it's in that that you have life. It's in that that you have fullness. It's in that that you will find the joy of truly living, all right? People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's the deal. The devil is very pragmatic. All right? He's pragmatic and he's reasonable. He is all for getting things done, the things that need doing. In this instance, he makes a very strong case for eating. Jesus may or may not have been starving at this point, but either way, he's probably hungrier than you or I have ever been. So Jesus is confronted by a great necessity, okay? And necessity can be very seductive because it is extremely hard to argue against. Of course, Satan attacks Jesus in his identity, which is interesting. I find that when I forget who I am, That's when I get in the most trouble. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thing I wrote it down. (laughs) So, of course, Satan attacks Jesus in his identity, which is interesting. I find that when I forget who I am, I get in the most trouble. All right? So Satan says this, if you are, then do this. And Jesus responds, eating is not the most important thing. Guys, that's different than what the world would say to you. The world would say eating is the most important thing. And when I say eating, I mean making things work, fulfilling your fleshly desires, fulfilling the things that, I don't know, there's all these things coming at you in the, in the outward realm that are vying for your attention, vying for your emotional energy, vying for you to give yourself to them. And, and Jesus was, he was actually hungry. I mean, he could have been on the brink of death for all we know. And Satan's like, listen, it's time to eat. You've, you've given yourself enough time with this whole fasting, serving God thing. It's time to partake. If you're the son of God, just make these stones turn into bread. And Jesus says, you know, eating's not the most important thing. But living my life by what my father says is more important than eating these loaves of bread right here. Satan says, use your son of God power so that you can live. Your life is dependent on this. Come on. Everything's hinged on this. And Jesus says, there is something more important than me living There is something more important than me fulfilling my great hunger. What did Jesus say later on? If you want to know how to live, you got to learn how to die. He who gives up his life is the one who's truly living. He was working this out right here, guys. Satan says, make these stones bread. And Jesus says, no. The scriptures say people live. They really live. They come alive not by the food they eat, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. So we, you and I, we're listening for what God is saying. Amen? Because that's where the life is. And guys, I want to put this into a little bit of a, a, a context for the here and now. All right? There is a spirit of the age, a zeitgeist, you might say that it's begging for you to give your allegiance to something that isn't flowing from the mouth of God. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum it is. It doesn't matter. It could be materialism. It could be a lust for power. It could be. It could be anything. But there's this war being waged out here that is vying for you to give your allegiance to something that your allegiance doesn't belong to. And the promise from those things is that you'll live if you give yourself to these things. But it's a lie. And Jesus confronts this lie in the wilderness. He says, no, no, there's something more important than me living. There's something greater that I should give myself to that surpasses me eating this bread. So, so Satan comes to Jesus and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, and Jesus throws a scripture at him, he's like, oh, you're going to come out with me? Here, here's a scripture. And so devil's smart. He's like, oh, you're coming out with me with a scripture? I'll bring one to you. So he says, okay, let's go to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem and say, if you are the son of God, he says that phrase again, he's going after his identity. If you are the son of God, you should jump off. For the scriptures say, and then he proceeds to quote Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12, God will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Let me ask you this. Have you ever quoted a scripture over your life that didn't quite work out the way you hoped it would? Like I can honestly say I have actually quoted this scripture over my life and had the opposite happen. Anybody with me on that? Okay? The scriptures are not magical formulas that you can just wave over your little life and hope all things work out exactly the way you planned. Okay? The journey into the kingdom often is a mystery. It often doesn't fit exactly in this nice little box that we would like. But that's the beauty of it. So there's Jesus Listening to Satan quote the Bible at him. And he's quoting this beautiful scripture from Psalm 91. <clears throat> but Jesus has been studying the law and the prophets since he was a little boy. You know, there it, I, I don't know where you are in your theology of Christ. But there is, and w- or there was, a, a growing up for Jesus. There was a maturing when Jesus became a man, God incarnate, he didn't know all things all of the time like he did when he was in heaven with the Father. He actually brought himself down to the limitations of being a human being. So he had to learn the Torah. He had to learn the prophets. He became well-versed in those things. He didn't instantly know them. Okay? So so when, when Satan comes... To against him with a scripture, Jesus pulls out a scripture because he has been studying the law and the prophets. But Jesus says this. He responds with scripture by saying, you must not test the Lord your God. You must not test the Lord your God. The devil's, the devil's verse was a good verse. But honestly, that is the perfect example of why proof texting scripture doesn't work. It's actually really dangerous. You can take any scripture out of the full context of what the Bible actually means, and you could wreak havoc with it. It's important to know what the Bible actually says. And thankfully, Jesus did in this moment. (laughs) I'm not sure that he would ever have jumped off the top of that temple, but man, he, this was certainly a powerful retort. Because the scripture that he was giving to Satan was, was a kingdom vision. It was a vision for living for something greater than his own personal experience. So that's the second time that Satan is tempting him. So then finally the devil takes Jesus to the peak of the highest mountain and he shows him all of the kingdoms and the world in their glory and Satan says to Jesus, I will give all of this to you if you would only kneel down and worship me. So there, there was the entry point, man. There, there could have been the kingdom of God. That could have been the ultimate entry point of the kingdom of God. Satan could have handed over him the whole world and he could have just ridden in on his white horse and set everything into order. But he didn't. He says, "Satan, get out of here!" For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Now, this this isn't the only time that Jesus had to do this. I mean, He calls Satan out again in in Peter, you know, in that in that scene where where Jesus is saying, "I have to die," and and. Peter says, Far be it from me. He gets a sword out, and Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. There's this kingdom trajectory that Jesus keeps releasing into the atmosphere. He keeps showing people how to do this, and they're missing it the whole time. Obviously, Jesus is passing all of these tests for personal reasons. He is going through the fire. And finding out exactly what it is he's made of. But there's something else at stake going on here. Because Jesus is about to make his great announcement. So the Bible says he he goes through this wilderness testing. And finally he passes all of the tests. And and the angels do come and minister to him. They give him food. And they give him water. And he rests up a little bit. But But it says that. The next thing that he does is he travels to North Israel and he goes after the 10 tribes that had been exiled at some point. And, and the scriptures say that it, it says he goes into the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And, and that part of the geography hadn't been called those names anywhere for, for generations. But, but the, the gospel writer Matthew specifically calls this out. And so Jesus heads into the north. And then the next thing he does is he proclaims this. He's come out of these testings and then he proclaims this. Change your mind. Change your mind. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God has come. Now that's interesting for somebody to show up and say the kingdom of God is near. Because what that presupposes is that the week before, the kingdom of God wasn't near. It's different. Things change. There are times when the father was far away, but not in this moment. There had been silence, prophetic silence for 400 years, but all of a sudden this man shows up. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God has come. And, you know, people were listening up. People wanted to know what this was going to be. Was this going to be setting the nation of Israel back in order? So he says, change your mind, get ready. Here it comes, here it is. Things were one way, but now they are another. In Jesus' wilderness, he wasn't just passing tests so that he could move on to greater things. He was learning that the kingdom comes not through power, not through security, and not through glory. Glory. He was learning that the kingdom comes not through miracle food, not through angels' protection, and not through the world's kingdoms and power and might. But the kingdom comes and is coming and is here as we choose to live according to every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as followers of Jesus, as people who have given themselves to following Jesus in this way? First of all, I would like to say this. There is a cost associated with following Jesus. There is a cost associated with following Jesus. I love hearing stories from my uh, my, I'll say my spiritual fathers and mothers who have had these experiences of choosing a way of following God to the detriment of their finances, to the detriment of their uh, family relationships, to the detriment of their careers. There is something about following the way of Jesus that will cost you something at some point. I'm not saying you're going to have to be a martyr every day of your life, but there is If you get rid of the cost part of this, then you're probably not really following Jesus. I believe this. I believe we are actually hardwired to pay that price. I believe that there's this inherent thing inside of us that is longing for adventure. And that the only thing that the world has to offer you is pleasure. And pleasure is good for one week only. And then you're going to be bored out of your skull. And that thing inside of you that is wanting to follow Jesus and pay the cost. Not just because it's the thing to do. But but there's something heavenly attached to it. There's, there's something about meeting God in a place of crisis. There's something about meeting God in a place of risk that you can't find Him in any other way. There's something about meeting God in a place of self-sacrifice versus you getting everything that you ever wanted all the time. You know, I think, I think being wealthy is great. I ain't trying to be poor. I'll just go ahead and say that right now. I am not trying to be poor. I don't, I don't have a poverty mentality. I'm not trying to get less money into my bank account. But I'll tell you this, I'm not afraid when the bank account is at zero. And I don't need $100,000 in my bank account to follow Jesus. Whatever words are proceeding from my father's mouth, even if there's not bread to be had, I'm still following those words. Because that's where the life is. And it gets tricky because you're surrounded by so much wealth and material things in the world that we happen to be walking in. Sometimes it's, uh, well, it's easy to forget your first love. It's easy to forget why you began following Jesus in the first place. It's easy to forget those initial moments in your faith walk where you began stepping out of the boat a little bit at a time and and the joy of that and then maybe you ran into some hardship or maybe some disappointment or maybe you you lost on some level and you drew back you say, ah that's not a winning game i'm going to i'm going to dr- i'm still a christian i'm still good for going to church on sunday i'm still good for paying my tithe but ah this whole walking by faith thing that's I'll leave that to the spiritual people. But I'll tell you this. What I'm talking about is for every single person in this building. There's not one person in here that was not designed to walk with Jesus in this way. So there is a cost associated with following Jesus. We may not eat right away. We may not eat at all we may just end up with nothing but trusting Jesus. Man, that was so quiet after I said that. (laughs) We may not experience the security and safety the world so desperately desires. We may just end up trusting Jesus. We may end up with none of the glory We may end up in total hiddenness in our lives to the detriment of everything that we had hoped for. But check this out. I love this. So there's the Matthew accounts of the wilderness, but the Luke account is just as good, if not a little bit better. Because at the outset of that whole testing, it says, but Jesus, after he was tested, went out filled with the Holy Ghost Power, And I don't think that was just for Jesus. I think that the way Jesus walked through that wilderness, the things that he discovered, you know know what Jesus was really finding out? He found out that not having food had no power over him. He found out that not having any security had zero power over him. He found out that not having any of the glory had zero power over him. Does that make sense? When I, when I said that out of my mouth, it didn't quite make sense, but like, like all of a sudden he became a man of no reputation. He had nothing to protect. He was willing not to eat. He was willing not to be secure and he was willing to not have any power or glory. And the devil said, you could have all of this right now because you're the son of God. He's like, yeah, I don't really need any of that. All I need are the words that flow from my father's mouth. And he went out filled with the Holy Ghost and power. That's prophetic, church. That's prophetic over you. That's your prophetic path to walk your life out with. This isn't just a good sermon. This is an invitation into not being afraid anymore. This is a Holy Ghost invitation into obscurity and hiddenness that will honestly offer you the greatest joy of your entire life because you're not being held hostage by any of the ways and means of the world. Is somebody with me? So, that's the end of my message. I just realized that going through my notes. But I... This is what I feel. This is what I sense this morning. I'll tell you this. You should be thankful that you're a part of a community that is paying attention to the Holy Spirit. Okay? We we believe in preparing words. We believe in preparing the music. We believe in having our ducks in a row. We don't want to do things half-hearted. We take... What we do seriously. But we also believe that the Holy Spirit can speak at a moment's notice. And he can give a word that's far more meaningful than the one I just gave. But I just have this sense that we need to respond to this word this morning. I feel like I want to give an altar call this morning. I feel like there might be somebody in here who has never met Jesus And you want to give your life to Jesus this morning. I think maybe there's some some folks in here that just want to rededicate their life to the Lord. I think there's people uh, who have been enticed by the words that I have been saying about not being afraid anymore. Not making decisions based on what the world is saying to you, but making decisions based on what your Father is saying to you. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just all stand up together? I don't know how to do this. We don't even have an altar. We just got a a bar with bourbon on it. That's That's all I know. But if anything that I've said to you is resonating in your heart and you feel like you want to respond to it, just do that some way. Do that some way. I don't know if you need to put your... Hands up, put your heart hand on your heart, on your head. I don't know where it belongs, but just let's just, as an act of faith, do something. As the people of God standing together, and I'll pray over us right now, and then I'll pass off to Pastor Robin. Father, <clears throat> I thank you that your first love is still available to us today. And Lord, I thank you that you're drawing your children in ways that are absolutely exciting, they're amazing, and that you're making us unafraid to not turn those stones into bread. That that's what we're going to do, Father. That we are going to walk according to every word that proceeds from our Father's mouth. And I just pray right now that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, and eyes to see what our Father is doing. Lord, we thank you for new starts, for new beginnings, and for fresh winds of your Spirit blowing in each and every one of our lives. And Lord, I I pray for any person who feels like they're messed up right now. I just pray grace over them right now, Lord. And I thank you that it is easy to step into this. That this is not a heavy and hard burden, Father. But that you are only drawing us as a good Father draws. And Lord, we just want to be a responding people. We want to say yes to what you're doing. And so we do that, Lord. We say it right now. We say it out loud. We say, yes, Lord, have your way. Yes, Lord, have your way in our lives. We just pray for that fire to burn in our bones again, in our hearts again, Lord. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, "Amen."
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, I felt like uh, Andy. Well, Andy's. I just mentioned this to him. He's going to make himself available to pray for anyone that really felt deeply to respond and maybe have Andy pray. Also, we'll have uh, healing and ministry teams after this. If you'll come over to this side of uh, the area here, we'll be glad to pray for you. A couple of comments I wanted to make about the wilderness. And the wilderness are those times where everything's confusing and you're not getting your way. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Well, if you can understand the purpose of it, and the purpose of it is... It's an identity crisis. But you'll only have an identity crisis as long as you don't know who you are. Then it's impossible to have any more. You never hear of Jesus going back into one of those places. And see, one of the things Jesus was really telling the devil was, I'm the son of God whether it meets your definition or not. I'm not asking you who I am. And so he had those, um, those temptations. And, and, and I think those temptations in this section Andy brought up are all, they're like the primary ones everyone faces that we are going to be tested. We're going to pass or fail. And that's it. It's pass, fail. You keep taking them till you pass. That's good and bad. In other words, the first one is, will you use your gifts to fulfill yourself? That's one way to put that. Is that. Is, will, will you use your gifts to make people know who you are, to get what you need out of it? Um, whose opinion counts? That's the whole thing in, in a nutshell, maybe about every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Whose opinion is the one that really counts? And throwing, you know, I'm going to... See if God really will protect me, so i 'm going to do something crazy. Well no, no who do you really trust, and on whose terms on whose terms do you trust him? I thought this: you won 't go the distance until you love the mystery as much as you understand, as much as you love what you understand good, that is deeply profound, ladies and gentlemen, because the word gave that to me, and I know it 's true. You will not go the distance as a believer until you love the mystery as much as you love what you understand. And um, what compromises? Who will you worship? What compromises are you willing to make to gain power, prestige, personal glory? Those are the temptations in a nutshell that Andy, Andy was speaking of. So. That was powerful. Thank you so much, And It's going to be a great month with me not preaching, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. We've got some high-level stuff going on up in here. Okay, have a great weekend. Next weekend, because this one's almost over. And anyone that would like prayer, come on up here. We've got a great team. that would be glad to minister to you. And don't rush out of here. Spend a little time hanging out. And Also, we're uh, going to announce by next week for men, the sort of men's meeting schedule uh, up into the summer. Some of you have been asking about that. So that will be a good thing, too. God bless you folks.